So, as, as you're returning to your seats, uh, I want to give uh, an announcement again. I know it may be a bit redundant uh, to do this, but I want to make sure that you're aware of this because if you came in late, uh, you may have missed this with, uh, when Michael announced it, but I want to make sure that you are aware of what we're doing. Uh, I think it was back in, oh goodness, June? Um, I can't for sure remember now. When we had our members meeting, anyhow, whenever that was, we spent a few minutes talking about the issues surrounding critical race theory, um, intersectionality, and gender, gender identity issues. Um, one of the things that we talked about was the need for us as a church to answer those issues in a biblical fashion. So we've been putting together a curriculum. Uh, I've only seen one worthwhile curriculum that's come out, and that was actually put on my desk last week by a friend of mine. Uh, most other things, and we'll get into some of this that are, are around, actually I think give too much leeway to critical race theory as an excellent tool. Uh, I think it can be a tool, but it needs to be carefully modified. Um, and so what we're going to do is we're going to spend 6.30 to approximately 7.30-ish, 7.45-ish um, Wednesday night starting this Wednesday. Okay, I know it's short notice, but most likely students especially have been longing to get back into meetings, so that, that, week, that time of the week is available from past habits. Uh, we're directing this, trying to keep it at about an eighth grade level. So, Claire, some of you that are younger, don't let that scare you. You'll, you'll glean some things. She, she, she thinks she's a senior anyhow. Um, that's what Pete told me. She's not scared, yeah. So um, you know, some of those teenagers think that they're way more mature than they are. I get it, Claire. I'm just picking on you. Um, she doesn't think that about herself. So, but what the goal is to, to hit an eighth grader. We know some things will go over that level head, but we also know that they're going to catch some truths. We, and we know this. It doesn't mean that we're dumbing it down for you adults, Okay it's going to still be very rich. So if you, since that members meeting, if you haven't read any books or done anything on CRT, uh, intersectionality, or gender identity, that's okay. This is going to be a great introduction to this for you, and it'll give you some, I think, very strong biblical truth to live by. Um, and students, when you hear those words, those things may be dry concepts to you right now, but let me assure you, uh, do you have anyone in your life, I'm going to do a quick poll, don't tell me names, okay, but do you have anyone in your life that's saying that they're gay or lesbian or bisexual? Watch the students' hands go up, okay? So these are the kind of things that you're going to uh, uh, deal with in this. Do you have friends that are telling you that you can't be, that, that, uh, like racism may not be where you are? How many of y'all know about Black Lives Matter students? Okay, Gina, see that illustration is going to hit, okay? Keep your hands up for Gina to look. Okay, Simon, I mean, uh, Jude, how old are you? Ten? Yeah, so even ten-year-olds are hearing about this stuff, okay? So we are going to do a great, I hope, a great job of unpacking biblical truths in this, okay? So it's going to be ten weeks, or ten sessions, I should say, which may take about eleven weeks. Um, it's open to everybody, okay? If, if you have friends, I hope you all have friends, um, invite them, Okay? Uh, make sure that you, uh, you know, but we want you here, okay? Anybody in our church, we want you here. It's open to you. So we'll be handing, giving you teaching materials, hand, handing out stuff. There'll be videos. It's going to be hopefully good packaging, not just the couple of voices from us. It's going to be a lot of voices and very engaging, okay? So is that a good commercial, Gina? Do you want to add anything? 
Everybody. Yeah. So, so I know that Mallory and Will, we, we, we wonder, are they adults yet? You know, I'm seasoned with them. <laughs> She's about to have a baby. They're adults. Yeah. Judd, you're not too old to come. How about that? <laughs> I love you, man. Thanks for letting me pick. Second childhood. There we go, right? <laughs> Even if you're retired, okay? Um, let, and let me say this. Uh, I know we have a couple guests this morning that I've not had the privilege of meeting. My name is Matt. Um, you'll find out if you stick around a little while that I can have what I, what I would call are Matt's moments where my mind goes in some very radical bunny trails. Um, it's just how I think. So bear with me this morning. But even if you're a guest here this morning, please, you're welcome to come because these things are, are again, rampant in our culture. And we as a church need to give these kind of uh, sound biblical answers. Okay, we're going to equip our church family with that. And if you want to be there, you're welcome. So the truth is everybody, okay? If you're bringing, like I know, let me, let me address this really quick, because I'm thinking about some families that have youth, but then they also have some smaller children. I don't know what we're going to do with that, okay? If you can bring them and they can behave and not disrupt, because we're going to set some guidelines, disruption is not going to be part of this, okay? So you may have to split shift as uh, parents to say, I'm home this week, you're home the next week, you know, switch, switch that out, okay? Just part of where we are as a church. Um, now, we're going to continue in our series on Matthew this morning, um, and I want to say this to Andrew really quickly. Great choice of songs, man. You, you like uh, wove, lo- what I love is traditional hymns. We've not been a, a, a church that has been like traditionally part of, uh, hymns have not been part of who we are, but we also recognize we need those as part of the fiber of who we are. So bringing some of those in for us this morning, really good. Uh, but the theme of this morning, you, you've hit elements of, of all the things that, that I shared with you in the text, but I think through prayer and, and preparation time, you did a great job. So thank you for that. Um, and and I, I say that because <clears throat> I think oftentimes we come into worship and, and then we go, oh, well, that was a great thing. And then we leave it behind through the rest of the week. Go grab these songs. Go back and listen to the podcast, if for nothing else, just to listen to the worship. You don't have to listen to me teach again. I don't, I mean, I'd love for you to do that, especially if you didn't catch something that I said. You go, well, there was something he said, but I missed that. Go back and listen to it. But certainly apply the worship through your week because that is healthy for you, okay? It's, it's a good thing. Um, and and I, I, won't, I won't bunny trail. I got there's so much stuff going on in my brain. So we're going to be in Matthew 18. And I think this passage is, is a passage that deals with so many rich truths that we need to get a hold of this, especially in our day and age. Because I would say this, and, and I, would, I would ask you to think through this, has, has anyone wounded you in recent months where, where you have said, that was wrong, I'm hurt, I'm needing to address this and think through, how do I forgive? I would dare say that every one of us has, that, that Juliana's probably sitting there going, yeah, dad yelled at me when I about cut somebody off the other day, and I'm still trying to get over it. Sorry about that, by the way. I was scared for us, okay, trying to teach her how to drive. Um, I mean, y'all been there if, you're, if you've got kids that are driving age. You know what I mean, right, Sherilyn? Yeah, and, and you, know, you didn't do it. You just gave them to somebody else, sent them to class. We're trying not to do that. She's doing great, but she, she struggled the other day, and I lost my wits. Um, so there's things like that where we wound each other. Sometimes it's appropriate. I mean, it's right for me to 
correct her. How I did it may not have been. I need her to forgive me. There's other things that can be really serious beyond yelling at somebody, you know, kind of getting escalated about driving habits or skills. There could, there could be deep relational wounds that happen that, that oftentimes are so difficult to, to respond to and to know how we ought to do this. And I think that Jesus, in this encounter with his disciples, in this parable that he teaches, establishes some key truths that are really important for our, our day and age. And I think they're important for our day and age because of this reason. And I want to give you a couple introductory thoughts right here. Forgiveness today can often be overlooked, okay? And, and by that, I, I think when, especially in my mind's eye, because I'm studying on this CRT and gender identity and all these things, if you've noticed, when we start talking about those wounds that have been created by certain things, people are demanding justice and forgiveness doesn't seem to be a piece of relationships anymore. Does that resonate? It's like, I have my desire and you've got to meet my desire this way. And it, there's, there's never, I, say, I shouldn't say never, very seldom is a relationship revolving around or entailing forgiveness and love and a proper encounter that we are to have in Christ. And, and so I think this is very real. See, I think a lot of times for, forgiveness is that missing ingredient in relationships. And for us as, as believers, especially, we need to make sure we know how to rightly engage in forgiveness so that relationship healing uh, is available to us. So I think a lot of times, especially today, and, and hopefully this will help set some of this stuff up, up a little bit more, is there's this personalized sense of justice. So, so when I've been wrong, wrong by someone, my like guard goes up or my posture goes up in such a way that I go, I demand a personalized sense of justice. It's according to my desires, my will, my situation only, and it becomes very subjective instead of us going to an objective truth that says, hey, here is how this really plays out, and we respond according to God's design instead of our individual design. Does that make sense? And I know I'm just kind of speaking in some broad terms, but at the same time, I think it's very specific. Because, and, and think about this, when you look at those wounds that have, have been caused in your own life, I think our first response is to go, well, I, that's not fair. That's not right. I demand my sense of justice. That, that lets us know something's wrong. But that's not how we really ought to operate. We ought to operate in, I've been wronged. How do I respond to forgiven love? Especially for a Christian. And, and that's where I think for us as believers, no matter what we think and what we do, we have this responsibility to walk as salt and light in the world where we are so that, that the world sees us as believers, and I'm going to emphasize this, especially in the church together, working things, these things out well. Because I think too many times what we uh, have done as a church is we've gone, well, I'm adopting the same thing. I don't like what's happened. I'm cutting and I'm running to another church because I don't want to deal with relationship struggles. That's wrong. That's wrong. The, 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 the goal of the church is to be the best at handling forgiveness in relationships so that there is love and the church thrives. So, so we need to fix that. And I think it begins with us understanding rightly what Jesus taught on forgiveness and love in relationships, okay? So, uh, let, me, let me add this into this piece. 
if you are married, okay, or in a relationship with a significant other, this is essential for you, okay? Um, and as you're dealing with especially parenting as well, this is essential for you, okay? So I, hopefully those truths will set this up. So let's read the text, Matthew 18, and we're starting verse 21, and I'm going to read through 35. I know it's a long passage. I'm not going to break down every verse. Uh, you guys know I don't typically do that. I try to get big picture truths, and, and we'll hopefully make these very practical this morning. So Matthew 18, 21. Now this is uh, interesting because the, the previous verse is if your brother sins against you, go tell him his fault. And that's what Steve addressed last week. It's like how we do church discipline rightly. It's first member one-to-one. Then if there's a failure to respond, the sinner doesn't respond, you take a witness. If, the, if they don't respond to the first person in the witness, then it goes before the church and you're working at reconciliation and restoration. So then Peter in his mind's going, well, how many times do I have to do this? That's, he's like thinking, you know, over and over. Well, why do you think Peter would do that? Because Peter's that guy that keeps doing it to everybody. He, he's the one that burns his bridges because he flies by the seat of his pants all the time. He doesn't think through stuff. And I like Peter. I'm a lot like him, so I get it. So let's, let's look at verse 21 now. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will I, my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? He's thinking that's a lot, okay? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 70 times seven. Therefore, now this is where he begins to teach differently, okay? Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I'll pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of, the servant, of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also... My heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. So, I want to begin by looking at the seriousness of the debt. Because I think that, and I'm going to do what Jesus didn't do here for a second, okay? Um, in, in one sense. Jesus gave this big, like, I want to say, like, very broad, um, exaggerated example, if you will. Okay, and I think because we lose sight of what biblical currency represented, we don't quite get this. So as I was studying all this stuff this week, I, um, I started looking at the currency rates when the book that, uh, when the commentators did all the math on this stuff, and it was in 2005. So I upped the, the numbers and all this stuff. It was fun, little math stuff. By the way, students, math is practical. Even pastors have to use math. So study your math. 
because you never know when you'll have to use it. Yes, even geometry, Daniel, okay? I've done geometry as a youth pastor, okay? So all math is applicable for ministry, I promise. Now, what this amount comes to, okay, and this, this may blow your mind a little bit, that 10,000 talents, I think is what it is, um, is the equivalent of today about $3.4 billion. Hey, I remember being 20 years old, working at a warehouse in Chattanooga. It was a, a, a loudspeaker distribution center for a company that was a British-owned company. One day, we were boxing up about 12, 13 pallets full of speakers, and I, I was making minimum wage, okay? It was in between schools and my transitions. And inadvertently, my friend and I who were working in the warehouse, we, we shrink-wrapped an entire pallet, an extra pallet. It got on the, the truck somehow. We don't know how the, the truck driver didn't count it, but it got up to New York City where it was being unloaded. And they stopped this truck in the middle of a, a one-lane road blocking everything because they found the one extra pallet. And it comes down to when they called my boss and we're going frantically through the inventory going, what did we ship extra? It was about $25,000 worth of speakers. Holy smokes, as a 20-year-old making minimum wage, I thought, oh, how am I going to get out of this? What, I've lost my life. It, it, was, it was a number that I couldn't imagine. $3.4 billion even as an adult. There's no way I could ever make that kind of money. And that's what Jesus was getting at. He was getting at this exaggerated picture. You notice he didn't even say what the guy had done, right? Because he wanted to give this, this, this view and this assessment that the debt was impossible for him to pay back. That's why we think, well, it's not fair for the, the master to say or the king to say, hey, you got to sell your, your child, your wife, everything to pay this back. That's how extensive the debt was. Now, why did Jesus use that? as an illustration. Here's my thinking. Most commentators would agree with this. It represents our sin. The debt that our sin creates. It's impossible for us to pay back. And we need to recognize that. For, for all practical purposes, what Jesus is saying is, this is a parable about the kingdom, first and foremost. And when we consider our sin debt to the Lord, there's no way that we can ever pay that back. No amount of time, no amount of work, no amount of effort will ever make it right. It simply comes down to the king operating with mercy and grace to forgive that impossible debt. Now, what's interesting is, and we're going to look at a couple things here that, that transition, because I think as we look at, at this whole idea, there is a plea that is made by the, the, the first debtor, but it's an insufficient plea. Look at, look at verse 26 with me. So the servant fell on his knees, and it says he's imploring his master, okay? I've lost it. Where we go? Imploring him, have patience with me, and I'll pay you everything. Isn't that how we respond a lot of times? We think, well, Lord, I'll just do this and I'll just do that and I'll just do this. If you give me enough time, I can, I can make things right. Folks, 
what we've sung about, what the truth of the gospel is, is we cannot pay our sin debt. There's just no possibility. And, and the interesting thing is, that's what the master knows. He knows, the king knows, there's no way for him to pay this debt, this debt back. So, so in one sense, and, and we're going to look at this because I think there's an, a, um, a, a way that the, the king sees and understands the heart of this servant that doesn't come across in the first part, but he, the king alludes to it later, and we're going to look at that in just a second, that he sees something different about this man's heart than just the, the practical desire to work out this debt. So, so he gets this, this servant gets forgiven, okay? And I'll, I'll, let me actually read this to you, because I think Spurgeon's commentary on Matthew, I was reading this, and I thought he brought up an extremely important point, okay? He said the debtor only thought he needed patience from the king. He said, I wonder if, if Jesus was specific in his emphasis of the ill-informed understanding of the servant because he contrasts the amount of the debt with the debtor's to commitment to repay everything. It was never going to be possible for the servant to repay the debt. So, in, in other words, there's much more to this that, that Jesus is teaching in the parable. Does that make sense? That Jesus is driving to this other point about sin, forgiveness, and how all of this works together. So, he, he is, Jesus is emphasizing this truth that the debt can't be repaid, okay? So, I want to clarify this. I think this is the point where this man responds with salvation, with receiving salvation. Because there's something about this where the, the debt is forgiven, and the king says, go on. But there's also this sense that the man responds in the wrong way after his conversion, okay? Even though this is not necessarily about salvation. So let me, let me explain what I mean by that. What, what does the man do immediately after he's been forgiven this debt? This first servant who's forgiven this amount, immense amount of debt. What's he do? He goes out and he goes, what, Shay? He tracks down somebody who owes him money, Right? And, and you would say, well, wait a second. If he's saved, why does he do that? Because I think, and, and I want to be careful not to be too overly judgmental about this guy's heart. The tendency is when we're young in our faith, what do we do? We still respond to our old habits, don't we? In our old ways. We haven't matured in new ways. And I think that's what this guy's struggling with. See, see if, if someone confronted me with debt, what, what would I do? Hey, you owe me this, Right? Which, how many of y'all owe somebody something right now? Car note, house note, something. We, we live in a debt society. We know how easy it is to get into this, right? And if somebody said, hey, come claim debt, you might be going, well, I, I, I let somebody borrow this or I've got this. I'm going to go respond and gather stuff up because even though it's been forgiven, I want to make this right. And, and I think that's where this first servant is operating according to his flesh. He's not operating in the forgiveness and love that he's found in the king's uh, forgiveness of the, the massive debt. And so he goes out, and in his haste, he demands and strangles this guy, this guy that owes him the equivalent of about three months' worth of work. See, see the disparity in that? It's like you, you owe $3.4 like 10 years, 11 years' worth of work or more, a lifetime, but you're going to demand that back from somebody that's just, it's minimal. And so he's lost sight of, of what that forgiveness provides for him. So 
I think that what we need to recognize is that we, we operate according to forgiveness that we've been forgiven. So, so I was, I was going to play this song for you, and I just ran out of time. I think I don't want to take the time to play a four-minute song or whatever because I think I can read this and, and make it um, very valuable to us. So I want you to think through when this first servant is forgiven, how should he have responded? He should have responded with forgiveness to the other man, right? The one that owed him. But instead, he lost sight. So listen, listen to this song. It's by a band called Ten Shekel Shirt. Um, they're a, a phenomenal band, honestly, Christian band, um, that is really good rock band, um, if you like good rock music. Um, this song is called Much, and it's one of their more, like, what I would say is more contemplative, mellow songs. But the lyrics go like this, okay? He says, I, I come to your feet and weep. Think about this, this man imploring, falling to Jesus' feet, begging for forgiveness, forgiveness of the debt, okay, to, to be able to pay that back. Remembering how you changed me. I kneel at your feet humbly. I pour out my love and my thanks. Now, here's where I think this, this song, they get the idea right. He says, I'm the one who's been forgiven much. I am the one who loves much. You hear the difference? The, 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 the first servant, he was the one who'd been forgiven much, but how did he respond? He responded in judgment and justice, not loving much. He, this is the next line. I sit at your feet in peace, sensing a smile over me. I'm here at your feet gladly, giving my love and my thanks. And then he goes back to that course. I am the one who's been forgiven much. I am the one who loves much. So here's my point, okay? This first servant had been forgiven much, but what he failed to do was to love properly. He, he missed the whole point. So what does he do? He goes and he demands of this other servant. Now let's, let's look at this, okay? So let's look at verse 32 because I think this is important and we're going to learn a, a really cool truth right here. Verse 32 says, then his master summoned him, this is the first servant, and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Now this is, let, let me stop there and talk about this word pleaded and the word me there for just a moment. That word pleaded is the word paraklesos. Does that ring a bell for anybody? Yes, Gina. Who else? Anybody else? Okay, why does it ring a bell, Gina? Paraclete is the Holy Spirit. So it's the same word that is used to describe the, the Holy Spirit who is called who? Like other terms, that this, the helper, the comforter, he's the encourager. That's what that idea of paraclesos or paraclete is. So here's what the, the king is, is saying. You pleaded with me. You in, exhorted, encouraged me. Okay, but it, it's that it's this call. Now we don't see that in the first scene, but that's the heart that this guy conveys that the king knows. So what he's the king is getting at is, you needed me desperately. Does that make sense? So so forgiveness is is not so much about the paradigm of the debt itself. It's about the dependence in the relationship. Now let me talk about the word me for a second. It says. That um, in, in verse 32, it reads, 
You pleaded with me. Okay? That, I, I don't think that's the best translation. Because the word me there is, is in the accusative, which if that doesn't mean anything to you, don't worry about it. What the accusative is, though, it has to do with the idea of a direct object, okay? So it's this idea that the, the king is seeing the perspective of the servant desiring the king. It's not about the debt. It's about the king and their relationship. Does that make sense? I'm, I'm pleading you. I'm desiring you. So interestingly enough, as I was studying this, the King James, it actually uses the word desirest. That's old English. I don't like it. But it, is, it gets it right. Desires me. That, that's the idea. That the servant desired me. Am I making sense? Y'all are looking at me weird. Yeah, ask a question. Right. Yeah, so, so like, let me, so, so you're getting it, Gina. Let me make sure I connect these dots real well. If I was pleading with someone, it's, it's like, yeah, there's a relationship going on, but it's about the, the conduit of the dialogue, right? Am, am I making sense? Now, if I went to Judd and said, Judd, I, I don't desire you to do work for me. I just desire to be with you. There's a difference. And I'm pleading for Judd. I'm pleading for our relationship to be built, not about the building itself. That, for those of you who don't know, Judd does like remodeling stuff really handy with tools and all that kind of stuff. So it's not about what he would do for me. It's about us in relationship. So, so it's not a pleading with, it's a pleading for him. That would be because he's the object of the desire. Does that make sense? It's not about the, the forgiveness itself. It's about the relationship being restored. And that's what we lose sight of in that. And I think that's why the king, again, this is a parable. I know we're re trying to read into the mind of Christ a little bit here. But I think Jesus is expanding this thought here that he doesn't allude to earlier. Because he knows the parable and he's getting at this with the, the people. And, th and that's where Peter, he's trying to say to Peter and those listening, this is about your relationship. That's why you forgive 70 times 7. It's not about the pleading. It's about the relationship being healed. And, and that's what we miss. And, and so what the, the guy didn't understand was, the first debtor didn't understand, is the relationship's healed. All that debt, is, he's freed of it. And, and the relationship is restored. And instead of going to continuing in the way of the Lord and maturing in his faith, what he does is he goes back to his old fleshly habits and demands those, um, the, the, the debt to be restored to him from the other servant. Now, the king comes in and confronts him about that. And now here's where it gets also, I think, interesting, is what does the king do with the first debtor? He says, you now have a debt. You have to pay that debt. But here's what's interesting. The, 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 second, the first servant's put in jail, but what does he, uh, we don't see his child, his family, or all his possessions sold. The, so, so, I don't think that the new debt that he's imprisoned for is the same as the old debt. Because the first debt, that big extensive one, has been paid for, right? So this is a new debt. I wonder even if it's the debt that the, the second debtor was demanded. That he's saying, you're going to now pay his debt back to me. Because 
really it would have been throughput. Does that make sense? If the first debtor had collected the second man's debt, he'd have just been giving it back to the king. So, so I think it's that, uh, that level. Now, now, why is that important for us to understand? Because if this is about salvation at the, at the beginning, that the first debtor, uh, that, that forgiveness of all that debt is really about our salvation and our sin, that's paid for already. We don't, we don't lose our salvation. He's still secure in that. But there's this great truth, and I need you to understand this. When we sin, there are consequences for that sin. And though he's been forgiven in salvation, the consequences of him doing this second uh, sin against the, the second debtor, he has to be disciplined for that. And it's not the same as the first debt, but there's still a discipline. So what, now, we're talking about forgiveness and, and all these things. So what does that mean, okay? I, I want to give you a couple practical things first. What do we do, okay? Um, well, let me go back to this first. Um, when, when, when this first guy is, is put back in prison, okay, or put in prison for the first time, that is actually an act of love. And you may say, what? Yes, love holds boundaries. Does that make sense? Forgiveness is not just giving some, someone free access into your life, okay? Because that's not healthy. So, so I started thinking about this, trying to give a, uh, an image. I would liken it to, to this. Love is the door into your life, okay? And I, I know illustrations break down, okay? So bear with me. I think the hinges of the door would be your salvation, your, your faith in the Lord, your uh, grounding in His hope, uh, walking in sanctification, things that keep you sure in who he is. Forgiveness would be like the doorknob, okay? That doorknob is you controlling how that door opens. Now, imagine if you had one of those chains, right, on the door. What does that chain do when you unlock the door and let love begin to open? What's it do? It catches. Is that what you said? Yeah. Why, why does it catch, Rob? It's, it's only going to let you open it so far so that someone can't just, you know, come right in. And if you say, oh, the boundary, you know, it's safe, then what do you do? You push the door in, you unlatch the chain, and you come back, right, and let him all the way in. I, I think, I hope that's a good illustration because love ought to be a, a, uh, an action that we perform towards everyone. But forgiveness is that boundary of how much we allow love to be expressed for someone who can be dangerous, someone who can be uh, acting wrongly like the first debtor. Because what did he do? He acted wrongly with the second debtor, didn't he? He deserved to be disciplined and go to jail and pay the, the, the debt. It was not just this free reign, well, just go do what you want and keep, keep sinning. That, that's not healthy right? So, let me, let me give you a couple thoughts here to, to follow up. So, what do we do when, when we're talking about the need to operate in forgiveness and in walk in love? Let me give you a couple things. First of all, remember who you are in Christ, okay? I think that's where the first debtor lost sight. He remembered who he was in lordship over the other debtor, 
And so that flesh, instead of remembering who I am in the king, forgiven, I've been forgiven much, therefore I love much, he failed to do that. So what he did is he demanded, uh, according to his own flesh, a, a re repayment of that sin. And he was failing to remember who he was in Christ. How do we remember who we are in Christ? Key. Steve and I reference this verse tons of times. Romans 12, 1 and 2. I urge you, therefore, brothers or brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable God, which is your reasonable service of worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but what? Be renewed by the transformation of your mind. I think I'm getting that right. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Thank you, Rob. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Yeah. So, so that when we renew our minds and think about who we are, the transformation continues to occur. If we stop that process of mind renewal, then our transformation stops. So we've got to be people of the Word, um, remembering who we are in Christ. Uh, second, that posture goes back to that song, remembering what we've been forgiven, that we love others well. So let me read a quote to you, because I, I came across this, and um, I've, I've actually recommended this book a couple times recently. It's weird how uh, things come in waves and seasons. Um, I want to I just read this. It's from uh, Bold Love by Dan Allender and Tremper Longman. And I think this is a good statement about love, okay? It says, and it's a little long, so bear with me. Love offers life. It softens the dark moments and keeps the heartbeat of hope alive. Love is both a mysterious friend and, at times, a terrible disappointment. Isn't, isn't that true? It's a great friend, but then at times it's disappointing, okay? Love one day satisfies, the next seems to strip the heart bare before the cold winds of betrayal. If we are honest, we often have mixed feelings about love. Forgiving love is the inconceivable, unexplainable pursuit of the offender by the offended, now listen to this, for the sake of restored relationship with God, self, and others. Do you get that? Let me read that again. So even though love can leave us, you know, like in this tension, sometimes feeling bare, oftentimes feeling fulfilled, we have to have love coupled with forgiveness. So forgiving love is the inconceivable, unexplainable pursuit of the offender by the offended for the sake of restored relationship with God, self, and others. So I would suggest this. If we're not operating with a forgiving love, then what happens is we're stilted in our relationships with God, with self, and others. Forgiveness impacts who the most? The one who's offended. Because when I'm offended by someone and I operate in forgiveness with that boundary, right, of saying, how do I love them well, then I'm, I'm being freed up to take the responsibility for the relationship and how to move it forward right. If I don't operate in forgiveness, then who am I ultimately hurting? Myself, my relationship with God, and then I think relationships with others. So forgiveness is essential. And putting in the right relationship with love is essential. And so l listen um, to these verses, okay? So I, I think as I was thinking about it, I was like, how do we respond? I think we have to respond to this kind of message about forgiveness, saying 70 times 7, we've got to love well. Well, what does Christ teach us, okay? I think, first of all, 
we need to consider some of these verses. In 1 John 4, 19 through 21, we read this. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God whom he has not seen. And the commandment we have from him, whoever loves, loves God must also love his brother. This is, we, we have this command to love. If we don't forgive, love is broken down. Does that make sense? It, it won't work. Because forgiveness gives us that operation of opening the door wisely to how we love. Not just slinging it open and going, well, just keep coming in and wounding me. No, forgiveness says, I'm, I'm operating help here to, to, so that I can love you well. Because sometimes the most loving thing can be, you don't have access to my life right now. Because you're unhealthy. That, that doesn't mean I'm not forgiving of you. Right? It just means that I'm saying, no, I forgive you enough to love you in the right way because there's boundaries that we're not going to open up so that we're continuing to wound one another. Sometimes we get to the point with forgiveness, we go, hey, we've worked through this well enough that, and we've started loving at certain levels, we can open the door wider. Right? Because, like, go back to the door illustration, there's times I've had people on my front door and I'm like, hey, don't come in, but we're going to... I'm going to step out, and I'm going to have a relationship with you. But you're not coming in my house. That's fair, right? That, that's still good relationship building. There's times that I'll stand in the door with the door open. And, and it's like, hey, you're not coming in, but we're going to be casual. There's sometimes I'm like, you know, come on in. Just, just hey, there's sometimes I give a key to somebody. Say, you have access. To because our relationship is healthy, and the boundaries are balanced in those things according to what's going on. Does that make sense? And so when we operate in right forgiveness, recognizing who we are in Christ, all of our relationships can change because we're honoring God because we've been loved by him first. Now, let me read this in Ephesians 4 to, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, in Ephesians 2, 4 through 5, we read this, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. And I could go on. Well, let me actually go on. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. See, I think that picture of the remembrance that we were dead in our sins, even when we were dead in our sins, Christ, by his grace, God the Father, by the grace extended to us through Christ, has loved us. We have that responsibility to remember that love and act according to that love and to the forgiveness that we have received. So, all of that to say, what is our response to this truth? Because I think that's the, the, the practical thing. We can get this. We can get this picture. But how do we respond? Okay? I think this. If I'm going to boil it down real simply. We have the responsibility to grow in our salvation. To work out our salvation with fear and trembling. To be sanctified. To be more like Christ all of the time. See, imagine, and I know this is where sanctified imagination can get us in trouble at times, but I'm going to go here anyhow. Imagine if the first servant had been forgiven. All that first part of this, the scene goes down. And he's, he's like, instead of walking out immediately, that we get that sense, instead of going to that second servant and demanding him pay him that little bit of money, instead he goes, King, you, you, my heart is for you and I want to honor you. I want to learn from you. What motivated you to forgive me? 
I've got this guy that owes me. Wouldn't it make sense for me to go demand that debt and to, to pay that back to you? How, how, do you, how do you think the king would have responded? I think the king would have said, well, wait a second. Let's, let's work through this. I modeled this for you. How can you extend grace and mercy to him? H- how can we together work in a relationship so that my kingship becomes the defining factor for all of our relationships? Th- doesn't that make more sense? That's what walking with Christ is like, that we would go back to the master who has forgiven us much, and because we've been loved through his forgiveness, we would love others much. And we would be bold enough and and careful enough to share the hope of the gospel with them. Does that make sense? And so we have that responsibility to be salt and light in a world that does what? Judges, that demands their means of justice be met. See, go back to my introductory remarks. We live in this era where people are injured or wounded, and they're subjective, and they're going, meet my demands now. There's no room for forgiveness. There's no room for love. It's all about repaying the debt that you owe me. It's not biblical. And we, we have a response, a responsibility to respond to who Christ is in us in every relationship. I'm going to say this. That, that requires stuff from us. It requires a lot of work. It, it requires that mind renewal. It requires a commitment into, in, in our walk daily with the Lord. I think it requires a commitment to the church so that we would be honest in our relationships with one another to say, hey, you blew it. You have this responsibility to them. Remember, this is coming out of Matthew 18 about church relationships. And so the hope is that we would operate in such a way as a church body that we would go, we're moving in help and we're impacting the world around us with the hope of the gospel and the freedom that we've gained from our sin and the debt of our sin that we could never repay. No matter how patient the Lord is with us, we could never pay our sin debt off. And that's the beauty of the gospel. And that's how when we operate rightly, yes, with right boundaries about sin, you know, yes. But we love each other well so that people find the hope of Christ. We need to, we need to work that salvation out. So I want to ask you this, just in a way of prayer. How have you been offended lately? You, you kind of nodded with me early. How are you doing walking through biblical forgiveness and love? Do you have the right boundaries in place? Have you gone to them and made sure that you're getting that debt taken care of rightly? You might be here going, hey, I I know that my relationship with the Lord is not right. I've been, you know, operating my own fleshly manner in some way, and and that's not healthy. I don't know where you are, but I, I would trust this, that the Holy Spirit's taken the word this morning, and he's tapped on you at some point and said, this is where you need to change. So what I want to do this morning is we're going to bow our heads for just a minute, and we're going to just take a minute to respond to the truth of, the, uh, of what Lord's spoken to us about. Andrew's going to come and play, and we're going to have a, um, just a postlude to the service this morning. So let's, let's bow together, and I'm going to lead us in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the truth of your word. I thank you that you have forgiven us. And Lord, as I think about what we sung about this morning, and I think about the great debt that we owe that's our sin, 
Lord, there's, there's no way that we could pay it. There's absolutely not enough time. There's not enough work that we could do. But Lord, through your grace and your mercy, you sent Christ. And he paid the penalty for our sin. Lord, that, that you would be able to look at us because of our trust in Jesus' work through faith and we would be right before you. Lord, uh, my own confession this morning is this, that too often I find myself walking in the flesh. I I do fail and forget the cost that has been paid on my behalf. And I can be demanding of folks. So Lord, I, I, I repent of that. I pray that you give me eyes to to see Christ more clearly, to walk in humility, to walk in love with folks. Lord, I'm going to be quiet for just a minute and let people maybe make their own confession to you about things, to repent and turn. Maybe maybe there's someone that they need to to work through something with in forgiveness and they need to commit to engaging in that process. Or maybe there's someone that they know they've been unloving towards. I don't know, but but Holy Spirit, you know, and I pray that you would drive us this morning, that you'd speak to our hearts clearly through the word, and that we would just be humble enough to reply and respond to you appropriately. So just in the minute of this quietness, you deal with the Lord how you need to. Heavenly Father, this morning, we are so grateful for your word. We're grateful for Jesus, for his teaching, that he is a gentle master king, sovereign savior. And as we consider how we are to to rightly honor him as our, our savior, Lord, let us live lives that are pleasing to you in all things. Lord, Let us not be slow in in obedience, but Lord, let us instead respond so quickly that you are honored by our humility and our willingness to honor you in all things. Let us be like Christ, for he alone is worthy of our worship, our attention, our service. So Lord, this morning as we stand together in this last couple minutes, as we worship you. Be exalted. May this be a a time that we honor you with our voices raised to say thanks to you for who you are, for how you love us, how you have forgiven us, and how we have a new relationship because of Jesus Christ. So we say these things and pray them in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together and sing.